fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not going to talk about The Walking Dead. Oh, well, we probably will. But we are not going to talk about The Walking Dead as a show in terms of watching episodes. We are going to do something else today in one of the very rare times we've had someone on the show who isn't one of our poor friends who've been roped into it. Um, Not for lack of trying, Coleman Domingo. You hear me, Coleman. <laughs> coming for you. I tweeted at him again this week. He is the only good thing about Fear the Walking Dead. Um, I am Timothy Harvey. And I'm Dustin. And I'm Curtis. And with us today is Will Robson. Hello, everybody. And Will Robson, if you are not uh, familiar with his work, and if you read DC or Marvel Comics, you've probably seen his work, even if you don't recognize the name, because... Not everyone pays attention to the important things like who's actually making the comics. Um, and uh, artists uh, don't necessarily get all the love that they deserve. And a million years ago, I wanted to be a comic book artist. Like, well, you made the right decision. But sequential art is hard. Yes. You have to have you have to have the the talent for it. And I am. I mean, if if you know. Um, we're going to have to put out a video version of this just because, I mean, just because we have to. We don't do a lot of video stuff, but I guess I'll put my pants on, man. <laughs> Why well, should say better than any other day? Uh, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got paintings in the background. I've got, you know, there's there's a lot of my art around the apartment, but I'm a painter and an illustrator for, you know, more like single image stuff. Can't do sequential art. I just don't have, I don't have time for it. Um, so it's hard and it's a real skill. And I, I've, I've um, been a huge fan of, of a lot of artists over the years and, and comics who can pull that off. While we are going to talk about uh, your work with, with Marvel and DC and, and, and Dynamite and the other ones, we are going to primarily talk about the thing you are doing right now, your own thing, because you have your own comic and you are currently funding it over on Kickstarter. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Things you don't say. <laughs> Welcome to... I can't well, wait till you talk. That's going to be fun. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I am just like you guys, a huge zombie nut. Uh, always have been. And yeah, I just love zombies so much. And I just feel like there's always been more that can be done with the genre and, and blended with other genres. And it doesn't just have to be a survival story which we all love like uh, i'm uh, give me a classic zombie survival story any day i'm there but um what i'm trying to do with, with my book which is called outbreaks is uh try and switch it up a little bit and so i'm trying to take zombies and blend it with other genres uh in an anthology style kind of like black mirror do you guys know that show mm-hmm. on oh, Netflix? yeah yeah that, that was my pitch for this where it's like it's like black mirror where every story re- is different but it revolves around technology outbreaks is every story is different but revolves around zombies so that was like the the elevator pitch for the book and yeah i've i've, I've pitched out to loads of companies everyone always says the same thing they're like ah the walking dead shadow is so big in the comics industry no one wants to do a zombie comic 
And I completely disagree with that. I know there's big fans of the genre out there like me that also are, are craving to see anything zombies in th- the comic world. So yeah, this is why this is why I'm here to talk to you fine gentlemen today. And and uh, yeah. No, I've uh, I think that I also agree with you. I think that's complete bullshit. Like because I go to comic shops on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and you know they're like. There's day one. There's there's all sorts of other comic books that are zombie related. There's head full of what is it? Uh, basket full of heads where that girl goes around cutting people's heads off mm-hmm. and the heads are still alive. You know, so so the the idea that you know the, the Walking Dead has just kind of killed our interest in zombie comics is is completely ridiculous. Yeah, and I, I 100% agree with that. I just think. Um... It's it's just that it's it was such a huge mega hit, right? In mm-hmm. TV and in the books that um, I, like I said, I think a lot of people are like, well, they did it all, right? It was it was a hundred and what ninety five issues or something like that in the end. Uh, mm-hmm. So they like, how much more zombie stories can you tell? And and I think that that's not true at all. I mean, what I'm excited about this book is is so since it's an anthology series, I'm doing a lot of really fun, different takes on zombies where. The first story is a bit more in the sense of your stereotypical zombie story, but it's about two guys locked in the drunk tank at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. They, you know, wake up completely hungover, and on the other side of the jail cell are zombies reaching for them, and they got to figure out we got to break out of j- this jail cell, otherwise we're gonna be left for dead. So that was the first like story I came up for it, which is kind of like a Great Escape meets The Walking Dead, essentially like that. And now, I was, uh, I was, I was just gonna say. Now I'm on your Kickstarter right now. The reason, uh, listener, uh, we 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 have one listener. Uh, <laughs> the the reason that uh, that we are doing this, that you're hearing this episode the day after we have recorded it, is uh, because uh, outbreak. You're expecting no. <laughs> yes, no. It'll be up in hours. That's the plan. It is gonna go out tomorrow. <laughs> uh, is that uh, Mr. Robinson has a Kickstarter up right now uh, where he is trying to raise money uh, for outbreaks. He's right now at 2,563 of his $3,600 uh, goal. So he's super close uh, and, and really ready. And you can read the first couple of pages of episode one, which is called Rotten Luck, on his Kickstarter. And I'm scrolling through right now and i just have one question about yep. uh this story uh do these guys fuck <laughs> because no. one one is underage so no uh, uh, well oh. i mean this is this two guys waking up in the drunk tank and one of them being like coach what are you doing here is such <laughs> a gay porn cliche yeah. like yeah, like, with the with the zombies on the other side as well. You know, oh no, I'm it. so hungover. Coach, what are you doing here? How did we get locked in this cell together? I guess I should go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe if they were there, you know, you have to read to find out, but if they were there for a long <laughs> period of time, I'm sure that they probably would end up burning down probably. Dustin is now a subscriber because Dustin needs to see how this, <laughs> how this plays out. Yeah. <laughs> So what kind of drew you uh, initially, let's talk about your background a little bit. What kind of drew you to zombies in the first place and like comic books? What's what's your origin story? Um, well, I, uh, I actually uh, lived for quite a while in America 
Um, I lived from 97 to 2010 in New Jersey and Vermont because uh, my dad got a job in New York City. So we all just moved out to New Jersey. And uh, as a kid in this country, in England, where I am now, I always liked watching the cartoons of Batman, the animated series and Spider-Man, the animated series. Um, and then there was this great little store called Jambalaya in New Jersey, which was all baseball cards and action figures, you know, any place a kid would want to be in the 90s. But then they had a huge stack of comic books. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I love this. And I discovered uh, at that point, uh, Tom McFarlane's run on Spider-Man. And if you guys don't know who that is, he's one of the biggest artists writers in the industry he created the character spawn and he helped co-create the the company that makes the walking dead books which is image comics um so fell in love with his art and then as a kid i was always drawing comics and just like drawing uh, images that i liked and, and i just loved it so much uh but then i kind of as i grew up i got more into film and that's when i discovered more of my love for zombies and zombie stories i mean I, I've always loved zombies because I saw a thriller when I was like three and mm. the music video scared the crap out of me. Not the dancing zombie part, but the part at the end when they're all breaking in to the house and trying to eat the girl alive. And that kind of always stuck with me. And then I've just always loved the genre. I mean, uh, Day of the Dead is my favorite zombie movie. I think it's severely underrated. Uh, I think it's George A. Romero's best piece of work because it was the first time you ever saw what it's like to be deeper into that zombie apocalypse, right? Everyone always yeah. focused at the outbreak, but he was the first to be like, this is years in. This is how do you keep going? You know, now the zombies are evolving. It was even the first piece of media that had, if you chop a limb off, you might survive a zombie bite. Like it was quite revolutionary in that sense. And I, I just sort of fell in love with zombies and I I was kind of drawing. I, I started drawing my own comic when I was like 19 called Dino Zombies, which was like Jurassic Park meets The Walking Dead. And it was, you know, like, oh, what killed the dinosaurs? Not the ice Hang age. Hang on. The zombie. <laughs> like, um, yeah. yeah, I was like, tell, yeah. me, tell me this is going to end up in your new anthology series. Yeah. It's, it's yes, it's something that I would like to, to bring back um, because I always thought it was exactly. such a fun story. I had it set deep into the future where um, global warming has just completely destroyed the earth and the ice caps are melting and, and it, on, in Antarctica and, uh, you know, the zombie dinosaurs are thawing out from their icy grave. To oh! So that's that's oh. something that I would, yeah, I'd love to redo. I was thinking of potentially making that, bringing that back and making it a free sort of webcomic on my website at one point. But uh, yeah, so I was making that, but yeah, I was. You have to post the original art too, because I bet I, I I know you still have it because I still have the comic book that I made when I was a freshman in high school called Amazing Amanda, uh, which I wrote in a binder on loose leaf lined paper. I still have it, so I nice. know you still have Dino Zombies. I do. It's uh, I didn't know how to make comics at that point, so I kind of drew them on like. You know, you look at a comic book page and it's like panels. I just, I didn't draw it as a comic book page. I drew just individual images and then like put it together afterwards. So oh, cool. it's a mismatch. And also the art is terrible because I was not a professional artist <laughs> at all. So that might stay in the grave. But um, yeah, I was at university. I started going to film school because I wanted to like be the next freaking Quentin Tarantino as every like teenager who liked movies wanted to be. And uh, I was making my final movie and it was it was really expensive and i was like ah if i want to try and break into this industry as a creator not just someone who you know is uh doing the lighting etc all that type of stuff i want to be at the forefront of 
creating because I just love to create. I I can't afford to make indie movies, so why don't I beef up my art skills with Dino Zombies to see if I can do that as a way for me to be a working creative. And then, so I started falling back in love with comics. I went to my local comic book store and DC Comics at the time had just relaunched their whole line back to issue one. It was called the New 52. It was like a huge push to get new readers right. in and stuff like that. This was like 2011 or something like that. And I saw this Batman book on the stand uh, and it was drawn by Greg Capullo, who was uh, an artist that worked with Tom McFarlane a lot drawing spawn i was like i remember this guy i love this and i picked up that book and i was like this is the best comic book i've ever seen in my life and i got Mm. so inspired by that book that when i graduated university i'd listened to all of these podcasts and interviews and read all these stories about the top people in the industry basically saying the way i broke in was i said to my parents let me live off of you for three years i'm going to draw all day every day and try and break into comics and if it doesn't work out in three years then i'll just you know, become a bartender or something like that, which was my backup plan. Because <laughs> I like to drink, so I figured I'd try and get paid to drink. That puts um, the pressure on, doesn't it? What's you that? Know, that puts the pressure on, setting a goal like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's exactly what I did. I, I knuckled down. I started drawing all day, every day. I completely committed all of my time to trying to get better. And then uh, the three-year mark was coming up, and I saw that Marvel was coming to do portfolio reviews in London. And I thought, well, look, this is the end, right? Like, I I haven't broken in yet. Because I tried. I was handing in my portfolio to all these different companies and making good connections. But everyone was like, you're not ready yet, but you're getting close, yada, yada, yada. So I made my portfolio. I drew a bunch of Spider-Man and stuff like that because I wanted to impress Marvel by drawing their characters. Went to this convention, handed in my portfolio. And um, the people that were there were now editor-in-chief of Marvel, C.B. Sobolski, and Heather Antos, who's a superstar editor. And I luckily got the call back, and I sat down with C.B., and he said, I really like your work. He said, I can see a lot of Tom McFarlane and Greg Capullo in your work. I was like, yeah, they're my top guys, all this stuff. And he said, you know, give me, here's my email. Email me in a week, and I'll give you a sample script to work on, and we'll go from there. So... That's what I did. I was on cloud nine and I emailed him and I got the script and I said to myself, okay, if I, I'm going to put myself in the position that I'm working now for Marvel, I'm not going to dick around and I'm not going to draw this over like three months of my free time. I'm going to take a week off from everything else. And I'm going to draw this like it was my day job. You know, I know that you have to get these books done quick. That's how the business works. So I just knuckled down and I drew that book uh, and handed it in. It was like five or six pages of a spider Gwen story. They were impressed about the turnaround time and about three months later i got a job drawing for star lord when the guardians of the galaxy 2 or something like that was about to come out or something like that so yeah it was great and that, my my career's kind of snowballed from there where i've worked on loads of different books um but as i was drawing these books i was realizing i'm not my creative itch is not being scratched and i realized like oh it wasn't that I wanted to make movies. It wasn't that I wanted to draw. I just want to tell stories. That's all I've ever wanted to do. So I kind of figured out, oh, crap, I want to be a writer, even though I've broken in as an artist. <laughs> um, so I spent the last like four or five years knuckling down and trying to break in as a writer. And luckily, you know, I've, I've written um, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, Vampirella. Oh and a bunch I, of have, I didn't know that. I, I have uh, I, I don't really buy comics very much anymore because I'm I'm poor and I have a a lot of children and just a lot of things but i go i'll read the 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 mutant town stuff and teenage mutant Ninja Turtles has been so cool that, yeah I, so. idw is doing a great job with yeah. that property 
And if you guys are, if you love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I recommend anybody to read that book because it's really, really good. And so it was, it was exciting. Yeah, last year I drew a, a Casey Jones one shot, which was, which was great. So I wrote and drew that. Um, and now, and now I'm writing a creator-owned project with IDW. But again, always in the back of my mind has been outbreaks. This this anthology series where I get to just constantly create zombie stories, which honestly, that's all I want to do. I freaking love this genre. Like I can't get enough of it when i have zombie dreams at night i'm excited i'm like oh that was awesome like my wife has them and it's a nightmare for me it's it's a dream i love it like it's yeah. exciting so outbreaks is really fun like uh, i've got a few other stories in the works for it if we get funded because i want this to just be an ongoing thing like my brother is also an aspiring writer and he's written a story for it called dog of the dead and it's basically like <laughs> homeward bound meets the walking dead so you're seeing the zombie apocalypse from a dog's perspective he'll be talking his narration and he's got to find his lost owner that's this kid that's been lost in the zombie apocalypse so that's what i'm trying to do with this book is something different i'm not saying here's a bunch of ragtag people just trying to get by and survive i love that to death but you can watch that on walking dead or anywhere else i'm trying to do something weird and different the backup story which is drawn by me is a like fifth 1950s superhero noir story that's kind of like double indebtedly and Maltese falcon where this world war ii vet he gets he was a sniper in world war ii his, he got his eye shot out by a german sniper and it's 10 years later and he just doesn't feel like he is the soldier that he wanted to be until he's approached for this experimental eye transplant um by this other world war ii vet and he gets the eye transplants done but he doesn't realize that the eye is actually a zombie eye and it oh, starts no. sort of taking over his body and, and craving for human flesh and all that type of stuff so yeah again this is the, this is what i'm trying to do is, is just have fun basically and, and tell the zombie stories that i'd like to see that haven't been done yet yeah I'm, that one's really interesting to me i'm a big film noir fan uh, oh yeah we all met because of doing film work here in Kansas City. We're all, we've all been in the independent film uh, space. Dustin's a writer. Curtis is a writer, though he's mostly stage. Uh, I'm a writer and director and editor, and we've all done acting. Um, so we completely understand. Very unsuccessfully. <laughs> well, Curtis, Curtis is the most successful of us all because he's, you know, he's actually in a play right now. He's so... a working actor. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's super exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Like every other working actor, he's poor. Uh, but, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm working. I'm not being paid very well, but I'm working. Yeah. That sounds so, like you're working in the creative field, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, yeah, I'm an artist, man. It's a constant hustle. Constant. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm a big film noir fan, so that one's got a lot of interest to me. The superhero, the superhero uh, zombie thing, of course, Marvel and DC have both played with that. Yeah. With their... What uh, DC's? What is it? Dead Planet? What's the? Um, they did the, a series deceased. called Deceased. Yeah, that's right. Deceased, right? Uh, and of course, Marvel's yeah, and... cycles yeah, for Marvel popularity based periodically. Yeah, uh, Marvel Zombies. That but... was done by Kirkman as well, wasn't it? I believe that yeah. book's actually the original book of that is actually really good. There's this great scene where Ant Man is just apologizing to um, Black Panther. And Black Panther's yes, he eats his leg, and he, and he looks down, and he's like uh, half his body has been eaten, and Ant-Man's like, "I'm so sorry, you know, but I thought you'd understand." I love that Kirkman's amazing. He's uh, that's yeah. just solid stuff. <laughs> there's also a, I do there's have a... I, I do have a problem with with uh, Marvel Zombies specifically because it came out during the time when uh, when they were like trying to de-emphasize the X Men, 
you know? And so, like, all of these, you know, great zombie, you know, zombies are happening. And it's just like, oh, yeah, and the, X, the X-Men are already zombies. They were just, they were turned into zombies super quickly. And I'm like, there are X-Men whose power is to be completely intangible. Like, where is Katie, where's Kate Pride? Kate Pride should be just standing in the middle of all this going, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Like yeah, maybe, maybe Cuckman hated X-Men. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just a, I think it was probably more of a editorial sort of situation because that was during the, the very, like the Marvel movies were just starting to come out and Fox was really. Oh, right. About yeah. Yeah. The when X-Men, they were like not so... doing as much X-Men or Fantastic Four. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. That, was the, that was the attempt to make the Inhumans actually be something <laughs> that people outside of a very narrow market. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Inhumans. It's just that they never had the popularity and, no. You can't make something when you can. You can force popularity with that sort of thing, but it's really, it's not easy. If I can shift gears, I'm trying to make fetch happen. If I, if I can shift gears for a minute, there's something I'm very curious about. And I feel like since we're talking to someone in the business, I should ask. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, I was joking with friends last night. I'm going to ask him, what is a comic book? <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> That's just a joke that I told um, but what I would like to know is kind of generally start to finish. What is the process of producing a comic book? It's okay. So it all starts with a company and the company um, either creates a property like I've created Outbreaks and I own a company or it's they license out a property that's famous. So let's just, for instance, say someone buys the rights to Dawn of the Dead and they're like, I want to make a comic book out of it. So that's the top tier. Then the next stage is an editor gets hired. And what the editor does is they don't, you know, check your spelling or anything like that. They uh, are kind of the, the, the managers of the book where not only do they put the team, help put the team together who they think is the best artist for this property. You know, who do I think can draw Dawn of the Dead the best? Who do I think could write it the best, etc. They, they They just control everything and make sure that the book gets sent to the printer on time which is the most important thing in this whole freaking business so the editor will then hire a writer and the writer will create the story and then eventually start writing the scripts then they'll hire a penciler and a penciler will start drawing the book just in pencils and then an inker will ink on top of those pencils to make it the final line art and then the colorist will come in And they will add all the colors to the page. And then finally, a letterer is hired where they put all the speech bubbles with what everyone's saying. And then everyone's going through that whole process. And that's how a comic book is made. And generally, you know, at Marvel, DC, a book comes out every single month. So pretty much it's these books have to be finished within a month cycle, sometimes a bit more. That's why you see creative teams change all the time, because it's I can't draw a book in a month. It's very difficult. Because I, what I do is I pencil and ink my stuff, so I do two of the jobs. Uh, and I'm now that I'm writing as well, I've started to color as well, and I letter outbreaks. I'm trying to do it all of the jobs in one. <laughs> oh. So just to like try and save a buck or two. But that's the process of how a comic book is made. Do you and... find do you find your your integrity as an artist is more well preserved the more hats you wear? Um, I suppose so. Uh, I, I it's funny enough, like um. It, it's very taxing working in comics because you give up all of, you know, when I said, oh, I'm going to start drawing all day, every day to break into comics. 
I didn't realize, hey, that's now going to be your life going forward. Because <laughs> like you got to hit these deadlines. So you have to love this business. And the thing with me is that if I don't have to draw, I'm not drawing at all. Uh, I'm putting my feet up with a nice cold drink and watching sports or something like that. Just something to relax with. Where I see these other artists that work in the industry and they're like, oh, I'm in between jobs. So I'm just just drawing for fun. And I was like, drawing for fun? That sounds great. I haven't, haven't done that in like 10 or 15 years. Um, so that's when I kind of decided like, all right, I, I obviously don't want to be an artist long term. I, I love drawing and I love my art, but I'm trying to move away from drawing interiors because what I really want to do is write. And I'm slowly moving towards that. It's been a very uphill battle. Like even me, who is you know working for Marvel and DC as an artist, they don't just give you a writing job just because you're like, hey, I want to write. No, not at all. At all. I had to really work hard at that. In fact, Outbreaks is the reason how why I started writing in the comic book industry because I have I've had this book on my shelf for like five or six years, just fully penciled and inked and lettered, uh, just not colored. Uh, and I was able to use that book to give to editors to try and get work more in the business. That's how I broke in writing at Dynamite. Um, and that's the reason why I brought the book to Kickstarter because I can't afford to pay for the whole production of printing, coloring, and posting it out to everybody. So that's why it's on Kickstarter. And that's why I'm trying to raise money for it so that I can actually make the book a reality. Because you may think that drawing Batman pays, you know, you get you could buy a yacht doing it, but unless you're one of the top guys, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's so, been there's been um some payment issues with Yes. Some of the, uh, the way too many of the companies paying, not paying their artists in a timely fashion, which yeah. is really unfortunate. Oh, they're fucking everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I, I had a few issues with, with some companies that shall remain nameless, um, but I, those issues have since been resolved. But I, I didn't realize my Twitter rant was going to cause a freaking revolution. And then all these other people suddenly were like you if you think you've got problems i haven't been paid for drawing any of my book from these particular companies and sooner suddenly these companies started shutting down because the cat was out of the bag that they weren't paying people and i was like oh my god this is absolutely crazy you know mm -hmm. like I, I, that was it's insane i mean it's 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 sad because it's you know we we're the ones that spend the time drawing the book it's we're very important for you know, it's a visual medium. You're going to go in that store. You might be like, oh, Dawn of the Dead. I love Dawn of the Dead. But if I open that book and the artwork sucks, I'm not going to pick it up. It's a comic book. I want to, I want good art. Well, the, the really crazy thing is, is I'm, I'm 52. So I was there during you know, the, the 80s and 90s when comics were both really amazing mm -hmm. and driving themselves into the ground. And there were so many. And it was great. You had this, this huge explosion of indie companies. You had Comico and uh, a bunch of other different ones. And and some really interesting titles were coming out that were not coming out from Marvel and DC. And in the nineties, Marvel and DC were doing their level best to, to put out a lot of really terrible comics. Um, well, Marvel went pretty much bankrupt during right? this time. But yeah. a lot of these indie companies crashed and burned because that's just what happens when you, when you have that kind of giant expansion of the market into the indie well, space. And, but and a lot of them didn't pay their creators. And because they went bankrupt, you would think that all these years later that people would have learned that lesson to not. And then, I, and yet I see, you know, there's a lot of the same, everything goes in cycles. 
and some of some of the worst parts of the nineties. You know, the nineties comic scene aren't still around. <laughs> they, they haven't they haven't gone away. <laughs> I, hey, I grew was, up on nineties comic god. I love it. <laughs> I kind of I kind of started collecting. I've since stopped because it became it became a financial issue. I was collecting so many every week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but I was kind of around in the uh, in the advent of, of digital art for the comics, and I wonder how how digital are you? Pretty much, I'd say I'm eighty percent digital. I, I pencil uh, all my pages on an iPad, and, mm-hmm. and I don't really like this. I'm in my office now, but I usually just work in the living room, hanging out with my wife with my dog in my lap while I draw on the iPad. It's great. Like in that sense. And it saved my back muscles. Freaking hell. Being able to lie back on a sofa with an iPad is so much better than leaning over a desk drawing. Um, <laughs> so, and, and it also just helps because you can hand in your work immediately in an email to people. You don't need to scan or anything like that. And if someone's like, I need a big correction done, you're not like, ah, oh, I've got to, you know, redraw on a piece of paper that no, you can do all there. But the downside is, is that you're not then selling original art. And that is a huge part of being an artist in this industry yeah. is selling those original pages, which is something that I took for granted for a while when I was just fully doing digital. But I've had more desire recently for people to wanting to buy my work. So I have started inking a lot of my pages traditionally uh, in order to have a, you know, an actual original piece of art to mm-hmm. sell because, you know, some people will pay a lot of money for that stuff, depending on what it is and what the book was like. Um, you know, I got to draw, for instance, for the 40th or 45th anniversary of Star Wars, I got to draw a cover for Star Wars and it was the Millennium Falcon taking off from Moss Eisley. Oh. So immediately I was like, I'm going to ink this traditionally and I'm glad I did because I sold it the most I've ever sold a piece of art in my life. So that's a huge, huge benefactor of doing it. But the, I just, the digital is just, it's comfortable and it's something I'm used to. But then for a long time, it actually made me a worse artist because I had the ability to click undo, right? So any mm. mistake I made, I can go undo, undo, undo. Right. And then to the point where sometimes when I draw traditionally, I go to click undo and I'm like, oh, this is not on the computer. I'm just drawing on a piece of paper when my brain still wants to click undo. <laughs> yeah, it's, we used to have a film competition here called the bentley's and this was with the old bentley cameras nice and it was little black and white eight millimeter cameras mm-hmm. no sound just i mean it's just it's just camera and film and this is back in the days of actual film uh which of course is just very expensive to get produced to get processed anymore but the competition was you would go out and you would have like five minutes of film and you had to tell your story and then you turned the camera and the film over to the judges and then they sent it off to get processed you didn't even see what you shot until it came back yeah and then we, everybody screened it all at the same time and so you had to do your entire story in that camera and oh, you had so, to do so it. no you didn't get any post editing with no post editing no no audio no post editing you had to tell your story completely visually in camera so oh, one take right what basically <laughs> I mean, you, could, you could turn the camera on and off that's the only editing you could do right and right. that's cool so it made you have to plan in a way that not enough independent filmmakers do. And it was a really useful, it was really useful exercise. And it was just, I mean, some glorious train wrecks. Oh, man. Uh, just it terrible, terrible things. Disaster. But they, but it was so, you always had a great time. And as somebody who, you know, I shoot, 
I'm going to be filming Curtis's play tomorrow. And I shoot, you know, um, I shoot for work and I shoot for fun, but then I edit the hell out of things. I mean, I, I, I love the fact that I can hide my mistakes as often yeah. as I can when you're, you know, and, and as a painter, you know, I can just paint over my mistakes. But if you're on a deadline, you make those decisions where it's like, well, I have this long. Okay, uh, this is where this is where I'm getting. And when you're on a deadline for for a comic, I mean, you know, the, the page has got to be in when the page has got to be in. Man, you're not painting those in oil. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all ink, like legit ink, pen pen and dip ink. How much is how much is your is your how much did your most favorite pen cost? My most favorite pen. You know the 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 one that you like to paint with the most. I and the I one when you ran out of it, you were like, "Oh no!" <laughs> I, well, I, the the thing is, the ink is the most expensive, and I like to buy good ink. Um, oh, you do it like ink and brush, yeah, crow crow quill, like dip in the ink and and do it that way. Oh, that's that's, cool. that's pretty old school. But I do use markers as well, um, and I'm not a fantasy guy. I just use uni pen fine liners. Oh, those are great! Oh, I love those, and they're easy to use, but. I, I do like to use the crow quill because it makes me feel like a real artist. I don't know why. Like dipping the ink in and stuff, but it, it can be a pain in the ass. But the best thing about it is you, you get that feel on the page, right, where the ink is lifted, almost right. like Braille. So when you touch it, it's like magic. But it, it, I haven't done that in a long time, and I pretty much just use these exclusively. Mm-hmm. And like uh, some Copics and stuff like that. The art supplies aren't really that expensive because I'm not Fussy. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Gets the job done. Well, job. And as there is a I'm sorry, Dustin. What did you say? That's the same thing. Curtis, or Tim was saying, as long as it does it, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a tactical element to doing art that is important for the process. I think a, t- a tactile element. Um, it's the feel of it, and that's the thing. I uh, that's why I asked you about digital because it. Seems like some of that gets taken away, but it sounds like you've compensated in a way to to still retain that and have also the increased efficiency. Like um, I would, if if I didn't want to sell my original art, um, I would work a hundred percent digitally because I just I just find it more comfortable um, and just more convenient, mm-hmm. and you can get ideas down really quickly. You know. Like the fill bucket tool. Oh my god! Instead of me spending two hours actually <laughs> inking something for ages, I can just do one click and it's right. done. Like that's that's ma- literal magic right there. Especially in a business when you have limited time to turn things in, it just makes sense to be digital. That's why. Just wait till they come out with auto shade. <laughs> yeah, no. Or just oh yeah, I know they're already having AI drawing stuff. I'll just put all of my old pages into a program and then it'll be just me producing uh, new pages. It's what do you think of all that? The AI stuff? A lot of people in my industry are, are super anti it. Um, and I totally get why, because it's, it's not creating art uh, that's original. It's taking pieces of art from uh, Google and just any source and copywritten materials as well. And, and putting it all together to create new art. And that's sort of a bit illegal, I would say, like to, to be able to do that. Like, it, and like a lot of people argue saying, oh, well, as an artist, you have influences. Um, 
So therefore those influences all blend up and they come out of you. I'm like, yeah, but it's like me uh, essentially like tracing something here and tracing something there and then boom, like I've got an image. So yeah. Yeah. And, and people have been giving Greg Land crap about tracing for how many decades now? Um, he, uh, there's a whole lot of uh, um, pinup models that uh, right. you, and, and the thing is, he's doing just fine as far as I can tell. I mean, people give him crap about it, but he's still working and he's got a career and, and it's worked out well for him. It's so, not tracing, it's single frame rotoscoping. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been following a lot of this AI stuff because there is a segment. Uh, I have to use Twitter for work. Otherwise, I would not be on Twitter because I, I, got, I, I spent four years as a medical courier and I got really away from um, social media in general and it didn't break me. And so it was, it's, there's times I'm cheerfully ignoring social media entirely. Me too. Um, I, I bet I try not to use it. But there's a segment of, of Twitter that I, I pay attention to. And it's called it's called Law Twitter. Um, and there's this whole big thing right now because there's a company out there that is saying we have our the first robot lawyer. And it's blown up into this. <laughs> yeah. And Dustin, Dustin works in law. So he knows. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it blew, it's blown up into this huge thing, and there's he's going to be in court and all this stuff. And it's it's crazy. Sounds like a great comic. It, it, well, it, <laughs> it's going to end up as somebody's miniseries, is what it's going to be. Um, but but it's part of this whole idea right now that people are just like AI this and AI that. And I guess, guys, it's not artificial intelligence. It's not. It's a coalition program. It's it's just something that is taking a bunch of different sources and smashing them all together. And sometimes it can look it can look really cool as art, it can look really cool as words, but it's not you know it's not artificial intelligence. It's a glorified word or visual processor. I mean, it still sounds like a five year old wrote it. Whatever. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> some of it is really clever, and some of it's just dumb. But it's 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 all marketing, really. They're all just like you know AI this AI that. That's AI. I do see some benefits in it, though. For instance, you know, if you want to get some, you're coming up with an idea for something and you're not an artist, if you want to get some visuals down immediately to be like, let's say you're writing a horror story and you're like, oh, this is this particular ghost. It looks a certain way. If you could type a program to do it, to then show an artist eventually that you'll hire, this is what I, this is what I had in mind. I think that's great. Even like creating a mood board or a storyboard for a short film or, or even a full like production films be like this is the vibe that i want to put on screen that's fine because it's just another tool that's helping you right. get from point a to point b but it should not be the full point a point b right. it's just yeah. a tool to get you in between those two yeah i mean it's yeah. great it's a great i don't think and i don't think it's ever going to get to the point where where things are completely replaced by ai uh because people are going to want that human human touch to it uh i remember I, we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago um when we i my example for ai was when avatar first came out the first one and james cameron was like look i've created all you got to do is put on this this speed suit it's got a bunch of balls on it and you can be in any costume you want to be in you can have any makeup you want to have on you can do all this stuff and i was like you know, railing against that on our film sets. Like, they don't, you know, we're just trying to, we're trying to break into this industry, and here's, like, the main, like, the, the film guy saying, oh, I don't want any of you anymore. 
You know, I don't want set designers. I, 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 don't, think, want... I don't think James Cameron likes people at all. I mean, he's right. pretty notorious for that, for the way he treats actors in all his yeah. movies. Exactly. But, uh, but now, all these years later, what he created, those innovations that he made, have have revolutionized the way films are made but it's still we're you know all those people are still needed uh you know and i feel the same it's way probably about ai is how that's gonna end up happening yeah we're but i think there's need. a happy medium like you look at a show like uh what the mandalorian is doing on disney and they've built mm -hmm. this this dome that everyone goes into and they build mini sets but the actors like the dome is it's just projecting a screen and that is what is actually being filmed on the camera. Mm -hmm. So there's no post-digital work in that sense. Obviously, there's going to be a little. But, you know, the cool thing about that is, is that as an actor, you get to react like you're in this world. Right. And the as a filmmaker, the lighting that's coming from these backgrounds, there's no post to it. So you're getting like, you know, if Boba Fett is flying through the galaxy, his armor is going to reflect that galaxy flying like it's in real time. And that's like, I think those are the types of step forwards that are really interesting in technology rather than a machine that says it can do everything and anything. All of this stuff starts off being terrifying, right? So I was uh, in the book world back when Amazon first got into the book business. So I was in a brick and mortar bookstore. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but, but we're old. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were like, oh, that was coming out of college and there was this thing called the new 52 i was like <laughs> I, was, I was out of college i i i, I was so i was 20 at the time yeah i'm 32 now i just yeah. i've been recently posting to facebook how old certain songs are like the songs that were formative so it's like hey golden earrings uh just Twilight Zone just turning 40 years old and all of my friends who went, you know, went to high school and college they're like you have to stop. Yeah, I think Dog Side of the Moon's going to be fifty this year or something crazy. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Yep. you triggered a. Speaking you, of, you guys are triggering it, like a, a, a clinical depression in me. You're welcome. I'm here to help. It's <laughs> literally Curtis's birthday today. Yes, it's oh, true. Oh. He's twelve. I'm fifty-one, and I can kick <laughs> and stretch and kick. Well, happy birthday! <laughs> Thank you, bud. <laughs> But I mean, when Amazon came out, all the book and mortar bookstores were like, oh, shit, we are so screwed. It's all going to be available online. And there was this this terror. Right. And I was I was working for one of the big chains. I was working for Borders, which, of course, no longer exists. Mm -hmm. um, I used to love going to Borders. Well, I, I, actually, I started reading The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. I actually uh, interviewed to the, there were two border stores in London. And I interviewed, or one in London, and, and I can't remember what the other one was, but I interviewed for those stores. I almost got to go uh, live in the UK and, and wow. work at the bookstore, but that didn't happen. And it, anyway, the, their accent is crap, so of course they didn't hire you. Well, that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> although I did get to go visit those border stores a few years later. So um, and I got to spend a week in, in, in London, a week in Edinburgh, and a week in Paris where I turned 30. Oh, nice. But I love the UK, too. Yeah. So the... I don't, but been. I'm glad you guys do. <laughs> ah, you got to deal with it every day. <laughs> I can romanticize everything about it. Right. That's, that's No, that's fair. <laughs> but the thing about technology is that even though this stuff just, you know, because it wasn't it wasn't just uh, Avatar. It was, oh, for crying out loud, it was the science Kindle? fiction. Huh? I thought you were going to say Kindle. 
Well, Kindles too, but I mean, you have there were there was that uh, Dustin. Maybe you can remember the uh, the animated film that was based on the video game series. It was all animated. Uh, the Final Fantasy one. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that. Uh, uh, but that was like a blockbuster. Like, people were just like, you know, it's all digital people. There's no human beings in this film. You know, actors are going to get replaced. The technology comes along, and and it could potentially wipe out the human side of things, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. We end up incorporating it. Oh, they they Amazon tried that with their audio with Audible uh, doing that. They have a digital voice option for their authors now, and it is the worst. And it's never going to get good. You just can't get a. You can't get it. You, the emotional content isn't there. It's all like, so like, and Batman was probably blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, we, um, Kurt, Curtis has done recording for, for Audible. Um, and, but I go and when I'm listening to audiobooks, I go for that off that the voice actor I really like. I mean, yeah, I, man. I found all kinds of audiobooks that not because I was like, I know anything about this author, I just followed that voice actor. Over Absolutely. to that, that that book because mm-hmm. I'm like her voice is so good. What's your favorite audiobook guy? Oh, it's got to be Ethnic Male Thirty Two. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean the technology is coming along and, and and you know being able to enhance what you're doing, you know, and speed up the art process, especially in a business where there are deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had a chance to draw a bunch of characters that yeah. people are going to be very very familiar with. So I've seen artwork for Spawn. You've done stuff. Um, you're doing Punchline for is that that's the on, is that the ongoing or is I it a mini series? I don't know if it's an ongoing or not. I I hopped in to help out the main artist who was oh, okay. Um, just needed some help getting the book to the finish line. That's that's a I I kind of love doing those little jobs where it's like we need someone to come in and draw like ten pages of this or do that. And I've been doing a lot of that recently because it's it's the spice of life it's variety right like i love getting in drawing like the flash and then hopping out and moving on to something else because it keeps it fresh anytime i'm on a long tier book you start drawing the same characters over and over again and and talking and it's just it all becomes very samey and you you start going a bit like insane because you know it's like it's been 30 days and i feel like i've drawn one page but you've really drawn 20 they're all just exactly the same um so i like hopping in and out but yeah Last year, I started working for DC for the first time, which was awesome because I got to draw Batman, who's my favorite superhero. And the last book I just drew for them was Joker, who's my favorite villain. So that was just some great like checks off the old list. And um, it's been interesting because when I first broke in at Marvel, they started hiring me to do a lot of comedy books because my art was a bit uh, fresh and rubbery. And I, I focus a lot on drawing facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't confident enough yet to start adding dark, deep shadows, noir vibes that I've always wanted to put into my work. I just was not confident enough to do that. So I left it completely out, which just made all my work look like a Saturday morning cartoon. So that's why I started drawing Spider-Ham and Damage Control and uh, Great Lakes Avengers, all these goofy books. Like even for, you said Spawn, but I drew a dick and fart joke for Todd McFarlane for that book. It's all just, <laughs> it's, it's a baby Spawn, like pooping out little baby spawns because that's what he wanted to do. Um, but uh, so I was kind of like, ah, I feel like I'm getting pigeonholed a bit here. It's like the go to comedy guy, and this is not what I wanted for my career. So when the pandemic hit, I sort of 
that's when I decided really to break in as a writer as well, because Marvel shut their doors right. and they said, we're not, um, we have to stop producing books. And I was drawing a book for them at the time. So I was like, oh crap, like, okay. So I was able to take a step back and be like, well, I definitely want to start uh, pursuing being a writer. And I kind of just went back to what I did when I first wanted to break in as an artist where I was like, all right, well, no one's just going to hire you as a writer. They're obviously going to hire you uh, if you're with your art. So you got to get your art up another level um, so that you can get the jobs that you want and start writing the jobs you want. So that's what I did. I started drawing all day, every day again, getting my art to a new level where I started getting more confident with using solid blacks and all this stuff. And that's what's led me to drawing Batman and stuff like that, which is just a dream come true. And my art now is at a level that I really am starting to like it because I'm always my worst critic. And I think everything I do is a big steaming pile of crap. But like, I'm slowly starting to be like, hey, that page you just did with Carnage is not bad. Like, like it's it's a nice transition. So okay. that's, uh, that's I don't know how I went off on that tangent, but there yeah. you go. <laughs> years, years ago, uh, I, I went to a, a Comic-Con here in Kansas City before Comic-Cons were kind of a big thing. It was kind of a small convention, you know. Now it's huge here. It's going to be next weekend, actually. But um, I, uh, a guy named Phil Hester and a guy named Andy Parks were there, and they were doing art for people, custom art. So I had them do a, uh, a Green Arrow for me one year. And I came back and I had him do a black canary for me. And my question is, what do you think of the the convention circuit? Is that something you're interested in? I so I I only do conventions if I get invited to them. Um, I I used to before I properly broke in. That was my bread and butter. Like those comic conventions are, are great because you are directly in front of a fan base that loves this content. And if mm -hmm. you're an artist and people like your art, like they're going to want to, to, to give you money to draw. And that's like, if you're not doing that regularly or at a level that you can provide for your family, it's, it's amazing. And that's, that's, that used to be my big hustle. I was like the guy that was always doing like the character drawings, like I'll draw you as your favorite superhero, which I Aww. freaking hated doing, but it <laughs> made me, it made me good money at the time. So that was, that's what I did for a while. But, um, I still do conventions. Uh, I go now a lot uh, to Dubai because I've met some great people out there and they they love comics in the Middle East. So I've been going out there um, and that's where I sell pages and, and draw um, uh, sketches and stuff for people. Uh, England's not the best place for comic conventions. There's not too many that are known besides Thought Bubble, which is a very popular one up north um i'd love to start doing the american ones more but i don't get invited to them and it costs a lot of money for me to fly you know in a plane and book a hotel and that stuff but i, I i'm going to try and start doing new york comic con regularly because as i said i grew up in new jersey i saw tons of friends out there and i'd love to like spend it uh, a few weeks every year catching up with my old friends and going to new york comic con and and meeting my editors face to face which is so important Mm -hmm. uh, because that's how you build better connections and and potentially get future work by b creating these relationships with people that aren't just uh, words in my emails. You know, like uh, it's it's makes such a tremendous difference to actually meet these people in person and and you know see how well you connect because you can make lifelong mm -hmm. connections that way. It's 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 crazy. It's like, there's no like company picnic for freelancers around the world. You know, like there's. Right. You kind of have to to do that yourself, but yeah, conventions are all oh, the board game. Some people I've met who 
uh, th- their whole career is just going to conventions. They do it every weekend. They travel the world doing them. Uh, there was I just recently the last convention I did. There was this guy who he did a few things uh, for Rick and Morty, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I literally travel the world and I draw on Rick and Morty Funko Pops, and that's my career." I'm like, "That's crazy! Like that, like that's your life. Like that's what you do." And but the, I, I, that's not for me. My my big thing is creating, and as long as I can create stuff of my own, that's that's what I want to do, and and that's why I'm really pushing myself forward. We're trying to make that my only stem of income is just me writing, drawing from myself and creating my content that I truly believe in. Because my personal philosophy is you have one life and I will always fight to have the life that I truly want. That's great. I mean, that's Mm. and and the, the industry has changed in the sense that there's a lot more artist created creator content that is actually being sold directly to things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and that sort of yeah. thing. So, I mean, there's always been indie creators. I mean, you had, you know, Crumb, you had Dave Sim, you had a lot of these folks who were doing their own things, but the, the, these, you know, um, fundraising platforms that did just didn't exist um, are, are a nice tool for, you know, if you're trying to do it on your own, raising the funds to do it whether you're you know you're asking for i mean you have to fulfill the thing that you're promising um which some of these creators have an issue with um how well, dare you call me out like that tim not <laughs> <laughs> dustin um but i mean there's and, and and this is you know i mean for all the fact that there's you know the ability to do that for these these artists you know, you can also burn your bridges with whatever potential fan base if you don't turn the if you don't deliver the book, or you deliver the book two or three years down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you've got these people's money. You've you've made a contract. You know, it's you know, the people fandom. Fandom is this giant thing now, but there's this weird relationship with fans where it's like, you know, the fans think they get to dictate to the creator what the creator is going to make, and as someone who, you know, we're writers and and artists and creators of our own, it's like, no, I'm going to make the thing that I want to make. And if you like it, that's fantastic. That's, I'm, I'm really excited. But if you don't like it, you'll buy something else. <laughs> um, and so, but, but if you've already got their money, if they've given you the money to make the thing, I'm like, that's great. I'm fantastic that you're, you're successful, you know, successfully fundraising on your Kickstarter, your Indiegogo. But if you don't give the folks what they paid for, like when you tell them, so, I mean, there's that we, you know, there's folks who deliver all the time, all the time. And there are folks who are like, um, my book was supposed to come out two years ago. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, one thing uh, I a reputation in the business in terms with uh, editorial that I'm a reliable source for always hitting my deadlines. And that will get you a job over being the greatest freaking artist on the planet, right. because the name of the game of this business is the book comes out when the book comes out and that's it. That's why you might read an issue where you're like, Oh, this art's crap. And I'm like, yeah, cause that guy probably had two days to draw that freaking thing. You know, mm. <laughs> like it's got to come. These books don't be, uh, don't come out late. And you were talking earlier about all these companies in the nineties. Well, one of the big thing that killed them was they just weren't keeping up with deadlines. Like Marvel and DC were still pumping out their books every month, but then all these small 
uh, subsections of image were just constantly being like, oh, the book's coming out in like three months now. And you'll lose the fandom that way. And I mean, at least in my sense with my book Outbreaks is I've laid out that the latest it will ship is August because luckily pretty much all the work's done on the book. It's, it's fully penciled, fully inked, fully lettered. It just needs to be sent off to a colorist and I need to draw a few pages in the back. Uh, and knowing me, I, I will never let that be late because that's just not who I am. And there's no way that I, I could live with myself if it was late. Like I'm happy to give up all time of my life to getting something done. Cause I do that for freaking big corporations anyway. You know what I'm saying? Now um, the, what you're working on now outbreaks, uh, do you, do you see that going forward as a, as a full anthology series? Like, into the foreseeable future or do you have a set number of uh issues or episodes in mind i i I would love this to be an ongoing book i mean i even had the balls to put on the top of it the only ongoing zombie anthology comic and it's not even out pretty ballsy too (laughs) like i i I want it to be uh the zombie book on the stand look the walking dead's been and gone and, and i want my my time as the zombie guy in comics like uh, in my world i am the zombie guy so i I want that to be out there in the world and i i have like already like 20 to 25 stories planned but the other thing i want to do is i want to start bringing in creators that i love to tell their uh zombie stories and turn it into just this great conglomerate of just amazing creators telling and zombie fans that's the most important thing i don't want to hire anybody that's just like wants to write something it has to be someone who loves zombies to do it because that the book is you know it's made by zombie fans for zombie fans and and i really stick true to that because that's the point of the book it's if you don't like zombies then you probably won't like outbreaks you know <laughs> like but, but, but if you love zombies then this is definitely the book to pick up because that's the point of it it's just to tell zombie stories this is something i would read um we have, we have this interesting relationship with zombies because when we started, when we started writing the reviews, because originally this, the podcast started off as just written reviews for the web, this website, and um, we we <laughs> it a was, brief and horrible stint as a as a YouTube show that was just nobody wants. To nobody see wants. <laughs> um, we have faces for radio, um, faces for radio, and voices for print. Um, <laughs> but uh, the um, we started off watching officially as reviewers season two of the walking dead right. which was the season where of course nothing happens for an entire season i love that season though it's one of my favorites and i think that people will crap all over it for no apparent reason we, i think the, the payoff is so good at the end of that season the, the biggest problem with that season and we are we still refer to this um all these years later is every episode it's we have to go find a little girl who's lost in the woods and they never go looking for her they always just yeah. talk about looking for her, but they never go looking for her. And I'm like, I don't know. Daryl's the only one. He goes out, he takes the map. He takes the map away from Rick and is like, I'm going to look for the little Rick girl. Just, and, show, the... and, and Lori's pregnant, and and it's the season where Shane dies, and there's just so much great that, like yeah. character. I think a lot of people weren't expecting to uh, I don't think a lot of people understood The Walking Dead is is a drama. Uh, like a almost like a daytime drama but with zombies in it and they really focused on that in season two yeah and if you don't like 
if you don't like dramatic stuff like <gasps> Laurie's pregnant and it could be Shane's baby, like if that's not the, if you just want to see a zombie's head get chopped off, then that's it's not the right thing. For right. Him. Well, and, and they were forced to do it, too, because, of course, their budget got hugely contracted in season yeah. two. So they so I mean, there's a lot of reasons. But as a viewer, we were watching this and going. Are they ever going to go look for the girl? And and, and the fun yes. part is, is that Dustin's really funny. And I you would be able to tell, but you know, <laughs> um, and I am much more of like the analyst guy. And so when Dust Dustin would write the, the very funny description of the episode, and I would sit there and say, you know, which really means this. And then Curtis joined us and he would live tweet the show. So our written reviews would be Dustin being funny, me being analytical, and Curtis like every you know, par essentially paragraph length or so saying just the most bizarre shit <laughs> and it was really <laughs> funny just trying to get the attention of, of amc you know and then finally i did on the dumbest they retweeted the dumbest tweet uh what was it abraham saves the day and they retweeted that and i got fifteen thousand followers immediately <laughs> and then and now i'm back to about a hundred so yeah, it's <laughs> a lot better about life. Famous leader. <laughs> but we were, so the thing is that we've been watching this show. We've been watching this show since the beginning. Um, and in this weird place, of course, that we've, we've watched a show run for 11 years and then it ends, but it doesn't end because it's got, you know, all the spinoffs now yeah. and, and fear the walking dead is fine is going to, is coming to an end with its upcoming season. They bring Madison back so they can cancel the show, which is no makes yes, no sense. She kills everything. Yeah, that's that's it. I, I kind of want to watch her walk around and kill everyone with her hammer because that's, that's Madison's gig. And, and so, but we're getting our spinoffs and and we're getting you know uh, so the the world continues. Back to the well, everyone. And the thing is, is that so we've got this interesting relationship with The Walking Dead, which is this kind of love hate thing, and part of that comes from. We've, we've, no one is making us do that. <laughs> We're doing this to ourselves. Yeah. And so, but the thing is, is that it's kind of our, you know, our job to, to watch this show. And so we have this weird thing where it's like, uh, the show is the worst. I can't wait to watch it with you guys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's this fun kind of social thing in many ways for us, but it's also, I mean, we, we got invested in these characters so that we could hate them in a way that, you know, and, and, but we're like, we don't want to see, we don't want to see Eugene die, even though we spent the first like year of Eugene on the show going, would you just kill this guy? You know, cause we, we don't want Eugene to die. We want Eugene now, to get his happiness. Did you guys, were you guys readers of the books as, as comic, well? Yeah, Dustin and I were readers of the comics. Ahead. Were you reading the comics? I still, I Dustin loaned me the first two volumes, and I still have them. Because I was the, and I was watching have. the show as a diehard. I've been reading the book since two thousand and five. Love it. It's my favorite comic of all time. So watching the show was always great because I'd be like, oh, they're doing this, or this character mm -hmm. is dying the way that this character died, etc. So you know, seeing Eugene, I was never like kill this guy. I was like, I know exactly who this guy's going to end up being, and mm -hmm. I, I can't wait to see it come to fruition. But um, it was great. I recently have rewatched the whole entire series of The Walking Dead starting in January. And I just finished it the other day because I knew that that new show, The Last of Us, was coming. And I love that game. And I, I was just releasing my book and I just had zombie fever again. So I thought, you know what, let's dive back in. And I, even though the show 
its quality could obviously dips tremendously. You forget how freaking good that show was when it was good. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it was so popular. And it's so it's so sad that we look at the show now as being like, ah, the Walking Dead sucks. Like the 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 tagline for the advertiser of The Last of Us is make like puts the walking dead to shame or like it like makes the walking dead look like a bitch or something like that it's just it says something really rude about the show and i'm like no it was so good and there's a reason it was good and there's a reason why there was like 11 million or however many people were watching at one point because it was really incredibly well made it's like looking at game of thrones i personally loved that show and then the last season was freaking terrible that now i look at the series as a whole as being bad which i shouldn't do because it was so good up until that point. And it's the same as The Walking Dead. Like, yeah, it, it certainly tails off. And I think now with them splitting up and going into different shows, Hollywood has Marvel fever and they're just trying to break everything into small, like mm. mini properties of like, here's the Michonne story and, and here's Negan's story and, and this. And they're all going to come back together as the freaking zombie Avengers back in like The Walking Dead or whatever. <laughs> That's like everyone's game plan and it's not working. And I really hate it. Because it's just watering down potential for great stories and content. Yeah. Now, your episode of our show is taking, uh, is pushing back our final recaps of the last season, but we've watched them all. What? How do you feel? I personally, I think that Walking Dead stuck the land. I think that it, it, uh, without getting into what we have not discussed on this particular show yet. I really feel like it gave pretty much everything that I wanted in those last couple of episodes. And so I feel like if I were to go back and rewatch even the times where it lagged, even like season two and season five, where I was just like, what is happening with the show? I feel like I could get back through them knowing that, okay, when we come back up season nine, 10, 11, they're going to be good again or, or good enough again. How do you feel about the way the show uh, as a whole now? I, um, so I stopped watching the show, um, right after the whispers. Um, Mm. I just, I, I just was like, oh, I can't continue with it. It's just not feeling right for me. And then it took me all this time to rewatch and then completely finish it for the first time. So I've only seen the ending once. And that was when I just most recently rewatched it. And, the best thing that happened for me in the show is uh, the full story arc for Father Gabriel. The fact that he opened mm-hmm. those gates was like the most poignant and best thing the show did in the later seasons. I just thought that was absolute terrific storytelling and the best all around story for that. But I just hated that I spent like seven freaking episodes out in the wasteland with um what's the name again the love interest of daryl um and, Carol? Uh, no, no. Uh, leah no. leah yeah. we hated leah I, too i think she's a waste of a character and i just think that that whole storyline was just holding back from the interesting thing which was the commonwealth which we all wanted to learn more about and see more um so i think that the father gabriel was a great overall finishing story but the problem with the walking dead is you know it, it's it's the fa- the story of Rick and how he survives the zombie apocalypse and the people around him. So the fact that the show ends by advertising that the show is not over is really bad and really <laughs> really something that I I really really hate. But I'm uh, the other person I'm happy for is um, 
uh, what's his name? Eugene. I think his overall arc ended great as well. But I honestly, I hate sad Negan. I really hate sad, skinny, looks a bit sick Negan. It's just not my thing. And like, what, like, woeful, I'm sorry for what I did in the past. Like, the fact that he got put on his knees and saw what it's like to potentially lose his wife to be like oh that's what you were feeling like oh i'm so sorry maggie like whoa i did a really bad thing it's kind of dumb to me yeah we call that on this show uh we call when, when, a, when a villain has a real face turn like that we call it, now they run the ice cream shop right like two two episodes ago you were gonna kill us all now you're our best friend yeah you know like, that's, it, that's... it was that's one of the few, one of the three reasons that I'm, I, got, I don't know, I'm not so, ex, I'm not excited about any of the spinoffs, right? I mean, I'm, in, yeah. I'm intrigued by what they could potentially do um, because we've had various points, we, we've talked about, you know, what would we do if I was writing the show, you know, and, and I could just do whatever I wanted, right? Which you get to do in your comic. Um, but the, you know, the, you know, Dustin and I years ago talked about the spinoff show where it's like, because the military in zombie in zombie entertainment, the military is always either incredibly corrupt or incredibly stupid. Yeah. There's no middle ground. They're all just like, we have become the new rulers of humanity. Give us your women. Or it's <laughs> guns. I don't know which way to point this at the zombie horde. And and you're like, um, we know military people who are very efficient. And I, you know, where, where's our story of that military group who's like, right, we just got to clear out a lot of zombies. Let's go. Um, and, you know, just this grueling show. It'd be like one season long because everyone would die by the end, that of attrition. But it would just be, you know, and they bring in new characters, just, you know, replace people. Um, but it would just be, you know, this saga of this company clearing out, you know, the Northeast um, of zombies. And, <laughs> I'd watch that. Um, so yeah, it's like if their if their uh, ambition or goal was to kill them all, right? Then that's yeah. interesting because you've never seen a story of someone's like, oh, I'm going to go out and kill every zombie that's alive. Like that's that's intriguing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and we did the like I think it was during maybe season three or four where we did the map. Like they're in Georgia, and there's like what thirty four million people in Georgia. Like how long would it like how long would it take for ten people who were just like that's all they're doing? It's like all right, today I'll be, you have to kill ten zombies. Like how long it would take them to clear out the state? And I think we 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 did it, it ended up being like six weeks or something. Six weeks. That was your that was all. No, your I mean I, I, is it, uh, right. my my math is off, but we did like a whole math thing about it and like, yeah. all right, equations okay. stuff. And Dustin was like, it would take this. <laughs> but but the thing is is that you know and and because we i went off on a tangent there which we do um is that the idea that negan in the in the uh dead city is supposed to go back to a more hardened less cuddly negan um which because because his wife there his wife's gonna die and it's gonna make him mad. That's our prediction. Yeah, because I mean, well, that's, I hope that happens. To be honest, well, she's clearly introduced. She's a very, she's a very pleasant person, and I think she's very nice. And 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 it's like, oh, you've been just, that just to kill her off. 
I know, yeah, but I feel like Negan her. needs. I think Negan needs to die saving uh, Herschel, right? Like that's just the only way you can complete his circle. Is he he dies? He sacrifices his life saving the child of his new like I don't know if Maggie's his best friend or or his new friend's like once fallen husband that he killed. Like that's that's the only way his story ends in my book. I'll tell you what, for for a guy who's playing the long game to get in a relationship with Maggie, that's uh, a weird way to start. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's trying to do that. I don't, I don't think she would ever do that. Yeah. That would be quite... Uh, yeah, no, that would be very bad. I kept waiting for him to kiss, though. I really, it's like, <laughs> they're going to kiss. They're going <laughs> to... Oh, how hilarious would that have been? It's the only thing I'll say about being wrong about. I would be really, I would be really surprised if there are not two or three outtakes. Um, on on where they're, where, just like, where they're just like they they have these really intense <laughs> and, and then they just kiss just because they make want to make the, the cast laugh. Um, but yeah, I mean I don't know. I mean, I, well, I, my my whole thing about that show was everybody didn't want nobody wanted anybody else to go into a room except for them. Every episode, two or three times, somebody was like, "I got to go in there and get Timothy or whatever," and they're like, "No, you can't." you're pregnant or whatever and they're like fuck you it's my it's my deal i'm going and then they would end up going and this was every episode and it was one of the tropes on the show that i absolutely it infuriated me every single time i can't go you go go you go i'll go yeah i i i love that like it's like a lot of surviving the zombie apocalypse is restarting the earth but no one really cares for their children at all in that show they're like all right (laughs) I'm off to find your dad. I'll see you in three and seven years or whatever. Or, or like Michonne and Rick have a child, and like I always forget about him when he pops up. I'm like, oh yeah, that kid exists. Like no, and like none of the kids are cared for at all. Just uh, uh, Maggie's kid, just like nearly getting bit like every now and then. You're like, what are you doing outside? Like get in. Like someone cares. And it's so funny because for me, it's like the children should be like when they first introduced an older judith she's out in the woods by herself hunting fucking zombies mm. in her dad's hat with her mom's with her mom's sword and a big fucking gun and that is the way that the kids of the zombie apocalypse would be They'd be like, oh, it's just a walker. Let me decapitate that real fast. I'm a barrel motherfucker. Yeah, they're desensitized to it. (laughs) They never, like, Herschel, who spent his whole life wandering around the zombie wastelands with his mother and those other lesbians, like, seeding little communities, and he is, like, the most inept of them all. He's like, oh, no, what's that thing? I know, and your mom is Herschel, your dad's Rick. You should be the biggest badass that ever lived, right? The the, the show has never known how to handle kids. I mean, the running joke was, for the love of God, stop letting Carl out of the house. Because and that was that's the way it was. Where's Coral? Coral. It's like <laughs> has, has anyone watched the children? And they like Carl's wandering off to get eaten. And it's it's always been that way. And then of course we get our spin-off with World Beyond, and it's like, and now there's teenagers, and we didn't finish watching that show. I didn't even start because we were in, we were infuriated by the fact that here are these children, these teenagers, idiots who are just. I mean, okay, let's face it, all teenagers are stupid because they're teenagers. I, I remember being a teenager; it was a long time ago, but I, I still re, I still remember it. We're all dumb, but these were like especially dumb 
because you're in the zombie apocalypse and none of them were prepared. It's like, what? what? <laughs> and so we, we were, we were so just, it got, it was painful watching the episodes. And, and, and while we are doing this to ourselves and we have no one to, we're suffering under a curse. This is what it really is. In some past life, we killed a busload of nuns and children. And this is what, <laughs> this is our penance. Um, but we were like, no, we're just done. We can't, we don't have to put ourselves through this show. This is just a poorly made show. Um, unfortunately, and- I'm sorry. Unfortunately, I have to be the arbiter of time, and it is 11.14. Oh, shit. Yep. Curtis has got to go. <laughs> Curtis so... is going to go be on stage in a bit. So, <laughs> Well, nice to meet you, and happy birthday again. Thank you, bud. Nice to meet you, too. It's a real pleasure getting to talk to you. You, too, mate. And, oh, and people fucking... Go to his Kickstarter. Yes, let's give him all your <laughs> <Yes>. money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and live happily for once in your fucking life. Thanks. <laughs> well, we will go ahead and wrap this up on, on, on that note because honestly, we do want people to go ahead and check out the book. Um, it is The Outbreaks. You can go to Kickstarter. I'm um, sorry, is Outbreaks, not The Outbreaks. It's the only zombie anthology comic. Um, and quite frankly, you should support this. Then. If you are listening to our show, then you should be, and and thank you, by the way, because I will plug this again. We have got, I don't know what's happened in the last few episodes of this show, but our numbers are exploding, <laughs> and I do not know why. I do not know. Also, no. also, don't forget the Outbreak Challenge, our official sponsor. Do you like to run? No, you don't. Nobody likes to run, but will you amble <laughs> softly uh, and, and carry your phone with you while you do it? You can you can uh, win a real medal from outbreakchallenge.com just by ambling slowly uh, with that in your pocket. Yes, we have we have a sponsor, um, and oddly enough, it's it's called Outbreak Challenge as opposed to we there was no like yeah it just works out that way. But um, yeah, I mean th- this is this looks like a lot of fun. I'm going to buy this book. Uh, I'm going to actually be one of your backers just so you know. Uh, well, thank you because I actually do want to get this book. And you are welcome back on this show anytime you want. Normally we record at like 8.30 on Sunday nights here, which would be a little or something. What? <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning. For yeah. you. <laughs> Three or four, you know, so a little, little, little uh, off, but we've worked stuff out too. If there is, uh, seriously, if you ever want to come on the show and talk about, you know, this zombie movie or, because what we do is, is our model is we get together. And because we are friends who are separated by, you know, states and distances, and we sit there and watch this stuff together and then talk about it after. So if there's ever any film or something you want to come on the show and talk about just to hang out, you are more than welcome. Just let us know. We'll work it out. Maybe in a couple of years uh, when your book's been out a while, maybe we can do a live reading. Yeah, that's awesome. And, that sounds and, good to me. And Dustin can destri- describe the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> He'll describe them in a funny way. I'll analyze them and Curtis will make the rare comment. Wait a minute, we're coming close. Uh-huh. All right, do the outro so we can move okay, on okay, with our okay, lives. Okay, okay. Damn it. Folks, definitely. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Will, for coming on the show. We really appreciate you joining us. And um, again, folks, check out the book. Uh, it, he, he's got, on, at the time of recording, he has 19 days left to go. Yeah. Um, so you have plenty of time to help support. There's him. no time. Give him your money now. <laughs> Do it now. Do it right now. Why right are you now. still listening to us? Go to Kickstarter the dot coms and and look up out 
outbreaks and and the maitre z which i thought was hilarious by the way oh, thank you yeah he's like uh, my crypt keeper yes uh it's it's a read that first couple of five pages twit at me and tell me that you know that the, that coach is gonna fuck that twink and then uh <laughs> and then give him some money folks support the independent creators who are making the stuff that you love. And if you're a fan of zombie stuff, that's one of the reasons you're probably listening to the show. And this is the kind of thing you should support and, and take care of yourselves. And as always, gentlemen, I appreciate you doing this with me. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Tim. Thank you again, Will. And thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you on our next episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.